We're in the era of the collaboration right now, and I think we're gonna see mostly collaborations that don't make sense to us personally. I think what we need to hope for is that enough of the collaborations do make sense to us because they do relate to some place we live or something we've done or some experience we had when we were younger so that we're connected to them. This week on A Blog to Watch Weekly with Rick and Ariel, the guys consider if Audemars Piguet is at a crossroads as the hunt for a new CEO begins. They ask if Moser should have crossed with Undefeated in their latest collaboration, and we find out if David made it across Naples for his review of the latest from Bulgari. Also on the show, they have the latest mystery guest playing who, what, why, where, when, plus the latest from Vacheron Constantin, Vertex and Citizen. Enjoy the show! Greetings and welcome to this week's A Blog to Watch Weekly. It is just myself, Rick, and Ariel this week. Ariel, how are you? I'm good, but I'm pretty sure with us, two is definitely a crowd. Yes, yes. We mustn't exclude those that are actually listening, the thousands of folk that actually tune in every week. So welcome to all of you as well, and thank you for tuning in. Be sure to leave a review and do all that stuff that you as the loyal listeners are supposed to do. Yeah, that's your job. In exchange for free stuff, you need to give us good reviews. (laughs) Yeah, it is the deal. I mean, that's the exchange. We give you free stuff and you tell us how great we all are. It's an ego thing. We just need you to boost our egos, so please boost our egos. Isn't it Tell great nice that, things. that we can pay bills with ego points now? I thought it was just Bitcoin, <laughs> but now it's also ego points. Now, there is a digital currency waiting to be launched, the ego coin. The, the next crypto coin. Yeah, the ego. Just call it ego. <laughs> it's going to be great. I think the Marvel Extended Universe may have something to say about co-opting that name. There's a currency called ego in the Marvel Universe? Well, no, there's not a currency, but there's a guy... Ego the Living Planet. Kurt Russell plays him. Wow. I'd love to be sued by the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I mean, it is a strategy for advertising. You'll get ourselves sued by the biggest company we can find and then live off the publicity. (laughs) There you go. Speaking of living off of publicity, who's our first watch (laughs) brand? Well, I was going to say, it's not so much our first watch brand as our first piece of watch news. And that is the imminent retirement of a certain chief executive from Audemars Piguet. And so my question is, has Mr. Francois-Henri... Is it... I've never understood how you pronounce his name. Is it Benemas? Benemias. Benemias. So has Francois-Henri Benemias done a good enough job at AP to have his name shortened to FHB? Does he join the JCBs of this world in that he just now gets to be referred to by three letters. I think he's just always gone as Benemias. Is that, you just call him Benny? No, just Benemias. Right, okay. There's a famous character from a very old soap opera in the UK called Benny. Benny was not a great character. Okay. Benny was a bit dim. Benemias is not universally liked. That is true. He has done good things, but he's also done good things in a way that has made him some less than friendly colleagues along the way. He is credited for making Audemars Piguet into sort of a very hype style brand. He's done that through a lot of relationship building. He has changed over their sales strategy from being a brand that sells in third-party retailers to basically only having their own boutiques. He has stated that they will maintain a cap on production at, I think it was 40,000 watches a year, which is not not an insignificant amount of watches. I mean, mm. uh, Longe, for example, makes me like five or 6,000 a year. So just put things in comparison there. And what you have received with this controlled distribution is the ability to say yes and no to certain customers and create this sense of scarcity that when it's, again, you're only your distribution, you can make sure that no one sells at a discount and no one sells to this guy if they don't like them. And it does 
have an effect because you do dangle things in front of people and you put them on a bunch of celebrities, but then you say, no, 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 you can't have it. And this has been a strategy that he's done. It's been very much an, an, an ego style strategy for the brand. And it has, in a lot of ways, been successful for Audemars Piguet's global awareness. But again, within the watch industry, there's a lot of things to criticize him for. But, you know, it doesn't seem to matter. He's moving on past the watch industry, most likely. He was able to uh, create some nice videos where he got to dress up as Shaft with a long brown <laughs> leather trench coat style jacket, which I, looked cool. Must have been extremely heavy. Could you imagine the heft of a jacket <laughs> like that? How warm it must have been with all those studio cameras. That's dedication wearing a leather apron like that. He has tried to extend AP into the Marvel Extended Universe with the Black Panther, etc. He does like a bit of Hollywood. There's no doubt about that. Do we think that he is moving away from the watch industry altogether? That seems to be the chat, that he'll turn up either as a consultant or he may move sideways either to a much bigger luxury proposition. What what do you do? He doesn't want to work for a corporate group, okay? He doesn't want to do the same thing over again with another brand because it feels like started from scratch. So there's like no one better that would hire him that wouldn't be a pain in the ass job. You know, he's not like Biver. Biver loves the challenge, loves building up brands, making new products. Ben Amias is motivated by completely different things. I believe that he's probably going to say, I had all the success in something as low, you know, low stakes as watches. Put me into something else, which is higher stakes. What that is, I don't know. I don't know if that's a higher volume luxury company, you know, maybe cars or sunglasses or leather goods or something like that. I don't know or if it's non-luxury into some type of entertainment or management. We don't know. But my guess would be that he would do everything in his power to look outside of the watch brand. There might be some brand that goes to him with some offer that it's difficult for him to refuse, and he hangs out there for a few years. But ultimately, I believe that he would be most happy sunsetting away from the watch industry uh, into something else. But again, I I, I don't know him uh, as well as some others. How much of what has happened to AP if he hadn't have been there? would have happened with AP just surfing the wave of what has happened to the luxury watch industry in the last 10 years? It's a very good question. I mean, prior to his time there, AP did things with celebrities and arguably did some more interesting things. I remember the the Royal Oak Offshore Collection, which, you know, in the early 2000s and late 90s was this wonderful, exciting test bed for concept designs and materials. They tried out all kinds of new stuff there. You know, there's a lot of collaboration watches with celebrities at the time, which I happen to like a lot and and did well. And those changed. I think uh, I remember sort of the LeBron James one as being one of the last ones. And I think they just sort of said, no, we don't want to do that anymore. And, you know, it shifted to a little bit more classicism, less maybe, you know, um, celebration and silliness of some of the watch. And some of them were quite cool. But he actually, from a design perspective, made the brand more conservative. And there's some nice things that came out of it. But you know, people say, well, he came out with the 1159. Okay, but not much else. You know, there, there wasn't a, a whole lot of innovation at the brand. I mean, the brand basically looks the same. There's improvements here and there. And I know that there's some in- industrial things that they've done uh, during his time. But I don't know that he's really moved the brand from a design perspective in, in any serious ways over the time that he's been there. And if, if someone disagrees, that, that's fine. I'd like to chat about it. Is he actually a watch designer, a watch maker? Or are his skills of. purely as a CEO in that he's 
a very good face to put on a brand that's trying to go in a direction that he dictates. He's the benevolent dictator that has driven AP where they are. He's charismatic, and that goes a long way in the Swiss watch industry because there's a lot of very competent people, but there's not a lot of charisma. And the reason that charisma is useful is that people have difficulties making decisions in what's you know typically a consensus culture. And egomaniacs don't have to worry about consensus because you know their opinion is the one that matters. So uh-huh. he's able to be decisive and just be like, okay, we're going to do something. And, and honestly, <laughs> that is a very powerful trait for management in the Swiss watch industry, again, in a space dominated by a lot of indecision and seeking consensus. Yeah, I think he's going to have to move away from watches unless somebody makes him a really silly offer. It'd be very difficult for his style of management and his kind of beliefs of how things should be done to move to anything that's owned by LVMH or Richemont or anything like that. Although there's probably a few brands within those groups that actually could do with his input. And we'll speak about one of those brands next. If Francois-Henri was to move to Vacheron Constantin, would they have launched the watch that you got to see this week, the VC Overseas Perpetual Calendar, ultra-thin skeleton, 18-carat rose gold watch? Yeah, so this is a great watch. The This is a boutique-exclusive version of an, of an existing model, but a, a lovely one that's still pretty new. This is the Vacheron Constantin Overseas Perpetual Calendar Ultra Thin Skeleton Rose Gold Blue Dial. It's a very long name, very descriptive. To be fair, Francois would have given it a shorter name. <laughs> maybe, maybe. He would put a bunch of <laughs> letters and numbers and things like that. This watch is interesting because it's, you know, it, look, it's beautiful looking, wears very comfortably, it's very showy. And I think that's what's so interesting about the Overseas is that it doesn't have the same personality as the Royal Oak because it's looked different, but it has its own showiness. And you have a bezel and links that are inspired by the logo and sort of these segments of the Calatrava cross. And the way that the facets work together, I think is just particularly handsome. When this ultra-thin version of the Perpetual Calendar came out, I think it was really a pleaser because it was a direct competitor to sort of the Royal Oak Perpetual Calendar. It's cheaper by far than that one is these days. The movement is an automatic, which is great. It's strange in terms of how it performs. If I recall correctly, it has something like 2.75 hertz, just a very non-standard you know frequency and what's interesting about that is you put it on like a timing machine the timing machine is going to freak out you have to like set it to this and that's just a again it's a strange thing so i i guess most people don't really care nicely designed movement you know it's skeletonized it's it's not like their most lavishly hand finished one ever but it's very very satisfying and like i said the the relative thinness 8.1 millimeters thick is uh, just a really great size the case is 41 and a half millimeters wide. Quick releases for the bracelet. The watch comes with a couple of blue straps as well, which which is nice. You know, at about $136,000, you could definitely go do a lot worse. You know, this is a type of watch which you can buy and wear, you know, spontaneously if you want, you know, for years and years to come. Pick it up 20, 30 years from now. No one's going to be like, oh, that's, <laughs> that's not appropriate here. 
So you spend a lot for a showy piece that does come with a lot of versatility. And I think that's great because you could easily wear this as a daily watch. I know that there's people that, that do. It doesn't have a second's hand, not the end of the world, but <laughs> something to say, given the fact that it's thin and it tries to go as minimalist as possible. There's a non-skeletonized dial version that also has a blue dial. So, you know, it, it's a little bit more for the skeletonized one for sure. I, I don't know per se that one is better than the other. It's a matter of taste, but you know, it, it's hard not to get a, a high-end mechanical watch and have no real view of the movement on a regular basis. So yeah, a lovely piece. And, and I, I think that, you know, as we continue to have this discussion with Vacheron, we're going to help tell people more of the stories about the brand because I think they deserve to be, you know, as, yeah. as popular as, you know, the, the APs, Pateks and stuff of the world. So this watch wins because it's a perpetual calendar where all the calendar information is displayed the same way. In this case, it's subdials with hands pointing at them, which I really like. I prefer perpetual calendars either to do all with windows or all with subdials. I don't like it when they do, for example, do the day or the month with a window and then the, the date with a pointer dial. Do all with subdials and pointers or do all with windows. So this wins from that point of view. The second hand thing is interesting. I'm assuming that you can tell because of the skeletonization that this watch is running without the second hand. That there's enough movement going on through the skeletonization that you can see. Uh yeah, maybe. I mean it depends where everything is. I mean, yeah, I wore it. You you can see that. I'm just saying some people like to see the running seconds. That person would be me i think if i'm paying one hundred and thirty-six thousand dollars for a watch i want to know that it's running i can't tell from the architecture behind this whether any of the bits you can actually see are going to be in fast movement that allows you to see that it's actually working rather than definitely the 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 motion of the moon phase indicator very very rapid motion (laughs) i just sit there and watch and go, is this watch working? Is this watch working? <laughs> so I think for 136,000, I'd like a running second somewhere or the ability to know that it's actually working because it doesn't have a big power reserve, this watch, because of the movement. I do like the bracelet. I think the selling point of this watch, much like the Panerai Luminor, which you can get on a metal bracelet, is the fact that the bracelet is able to take design cues from the rest of the watch. So the Maltese logo effect or hint at the Maltese logo effect on the bracelet, much like the Crown Guard and the Panerai is hinted at on the bracelets of Panerai, I think is brilliant. I I love that. I love the fact that the design cue is carried onto the bracelet. I can't think of many bracelets where there is something that they can carry on from the design of the watch itself and a Vacheron overseas bracelet is definitely one of those things that can. So I really like this. $136,000. I mean, where does this sit in comparison to skeletonized perpetual calendars and gold? I mean, I'm not going to say it's competitive, but it's not astronomically far out in relation to its competition. And what your chances, you've probably got slightly more chance of getting one of these than uh, getting the equivalent AP, Patek, you know, whatever other brand takes your fancy. Do we know why it's got this uncommon beat rate? I'm just guessing it's related to the size and I think that if they had a higher beat rate then the power reserve would be much lower so I think that they they didn't have space for a large mainstream barrel and this was a way of making it not have like a 20 hour power reserve. 
I do want to say, you know, just going to these watches, and maybe it's because I'm I'm showing my age in this industry, but it's hard for me still to sort of like keep up with inflation because I still see these types of perpetual calendar watches, even in gold, at like the just under hundred thousand dollar mark. So I feel that I personally need to sort of become reacquainted with the competition to sort of understand all the value propositions. Because when I got into watches, these exact same movements were being made, you know, in watches that were, you know, less money. I mean, I remember a lot of these being eighty, ninety thousand dollars Again, time has gone by, inflation, I get all that. But it's it's for me and other collectors that have been doing this for long enough, we do need assurances from the brand that there's, you know, additional value with the extra added prices and i'm curious to know how people feel about that as prices go up sometimes quite rapidly if they feel that there's still value there or they moved on from brands yeah so send us a message so contact us on instagram or via spotify log on to a blog to watch weekly or email me rick at a blog to watch.com and give us your opinion are watch brands working ahead of inflation or just keeping up with inflation with the way that the prices are changing. I think the suspicion is that there may be a little bit of gouging going on. There may be a little bit of opportunism being taken. You know, they've all they've all got expensive yachts and, you know, other stuff to afford and ski trips and other things. Give us your oh, yeah. opinion as to just where you think the value proposition now is within the Swiss watch world. I mean, obviously, something can be being sold for $100,000 and still be considered a value proposition, daft though that may sound. And the VCs possibly, there or thereabouts, could be considered a value proposition when you compare it to its competitors. But what do you think? So come back and uh, hit us up either on the website or email us direct. So Citizen has just announced another version of their Hakuto R collaboration collection this began maybe 2021 there was sort of a pair of watches now hakuto r is a japanese a moonlander i believe and through an association with citizen they've used some of citizen's proprietary super titanium which is a special way of coating and hardening titanium to make it you know a, a much better you know version of titanium from a where is this in perspective so what they've done, once again, is they've taken a limited edition version of the Atessa, which is a collection that is still not very well known outside of Japan. It's a high-end quartz citizen. It has a lot of technology built into it because it's one of their GPS watches. So it receives signals from GPS satellites to update time and calendar information. It's a very high-tech watch. I'd love to see this collection do what Casio has done and introduce Bluetooth functionality where you can adjust the time and parameters on the watch with your phone. I do not believe that that's something that Citizen has done yet. They do have some Bluetooth watches. It's probably coming soon, but that's, that's a whole other story. Going back to Hakuto R, we have a decorative technique where they have a, what they call a recrystallized titanium, which creates sort of a crystallized effect in sort of the deep gray and the bezel and the center links on the bracelet are produced from this recrystallized titanium, which has a lovely organic texture, and it looks great. A citizen's last attempt at the Hakuto R was sort of a two-tone watch. It's a little avant-garde, a little bit strange. The reception to this one has been much, much better, and I think that citizen 
improve some things with the design. The same, you know, basic case, same, you know, F950 caliber movement, which is, again, a fantastic movement that does so many things. Really cool timepiece with all these exotic materials. Uh, and it's, you know, in collaboration with this sort of Hakuto R uh, Space Lander program. Limited to 1,000 pieces and a retail price of $3,500. I always see these things written about how industry is going to watch brands to help them out with stuff. And I always have my doubts that that's not just a marketing spiel. Like, does a space program really need to consult a watch company about how to do certain things, about how to make their space program better. But actually reading this, I'm like, yeah, this actually looks like Citizen may genuinely give some benefit to getting something to the moon. The watch certainly looks cool. The effect that this recrystallization of the titanium has looks awesome. I'm not that familiar with the Atessa, you know, kind of sub-brand, as you say. It's a very much a Japanese-only thing. But... I certainly think it's to be encouraged for this watch because this is a this is great looking. It's expensive. I don't know because I'm not aware of the sub brand in general as to whether this is this price three and a half thousand dollars because of the limited edition and the special process on the titanium, and that whether a non-special version of this watch is like sub a thousand dollars or whether. A standard version of this watch is still two and a half, three thousand dollars. Where does this offshoot of Citizen the Atessa sit in the kind of price point in general in the Citizen range? They have a pretty robust selection of high-end watches that go up to nearly ten thousand dollars, maybe more in some right. special situations. So this is definitely not the highest end. And of course, Citizen also has some pretty high mechanical watches right now. I would say this is about as high-end before you get into real specialty watches and things like that. So is this kind of their Mr. G type? Mm, it's hard to say. It doesn't look the same as an MRG, but it's the kind of same kind of price point as... Because they are known for their kind of specialist materials. Obviously, as you say, they've got Bluetooth and other bits and pieces. Is this where they're competing at? I don't know. It's hard to do an exact you know comparison this is definitely a competitor of seiko's astron that makes sense. right okay yeah yeah absolutely so uh, have you seen one of these the previous model of this in the flesh or yes. this one yes i've seen i've seen the previous one that's again the same case and, and design just slightly different materials it's a comfortable watch it's handsome you know look it's conservative but it has a cool design to it it's extremely functional and will wear well there's an audience for that you know if your mechanical watch lover is looking at like vintage sport watch designs this might not be something that catches your your eye immediately but if you're a tool watch lover that loves materials wants something that is actually very very cool and useful and still relevant yeah this is a great tool so it's a 44 mil watch but you're saying it wears Super comfy. It doesn't wear that big. Remember, titanium is very light. Yeah. It's thinner than than you might think. Is it too light? Often I find with titanium watches that actually you've spent a lot of money on a watch and then you put it on and it feels like it's not there. And actually there's some cognitive dissonance which makes you think, wait a minute, why have I just spent four grand on something that doesn't feel like it's there? It's not heavy. I, I feel like by paying money I should have heft. Well, yes. The, the problem is if you take it off your wrist, it's lighter than air and it might float into the sky. So you better watch out. <laughs> you can join the rest of the moon mission with them. <laughs> Go check out the article on the website and tell us what you think. 
This week's mystery guest on who, what, why, where, when is about to be revealed. So, mystery guest, who are you and where are you from? Okay, it's Don Cochran and I'm from the Vertex Watch Company. And you have been very kind in advance of us talking to actually send me the watch that we covered this week on a blog to watch to actually handle myself. So tell me what this watch actually is. Okay, well, this is our new dive release. It's called the M60 Aqualine. The M stands for Model 60, stands for 60 bar, so 600 meters water resistance. It's a very technical dive watch. Swiss ISO rated and cost certified movement. Well, it's super lame with dial and just, yeah, all the good things. Cracking. Well, I was going to ask you about the M60, but you've answered that question in advance. So that's great. Now, why is this the point of time that you've decided to release this particular watch? Why did you decide a dive watch? Your previous watches have been much more kind of field orientated. Yeah, I mean, selfishly, I kind of made it for me. I selfishly make most of our watches for me, and then hopefully other people like them. But I'm a, a big fan of diving, and so it was always on the agenda. And we historically did make dive watches, certainly in the 50s and 60s. So it was something I wanted to try and, and see what a modern Vertex dive watch would look like. And when I set out to make it, it was very much my intention to make the best watch we possibly could. So that's why it's sort of massively specced. And where can we actually get this then? Okay, well, it's available directly from us online from our website at vertexwatches.com. Good stuff. And it's available right now? What's the when of this watch? It is very much available right now. They are packed up and ready to ship. Most of them seem to be heading to the USA right now, but we can keep some here. Good stuff. And it's not a limited edition. This is going to be a, a line that's going to be maintained in the, the portfolio. Yeah, I very much hope so. It's, it's limited by production. So we have X number of watches available this year and then we'll have more available next year. But um, it's going very well. So very pleased with things so far. Cool. Well, thank you for joining us on Who, What, Why, Where, When. I get to ask a couple of additional questions now. So what's next? So the next release will be an automatic version of our M100, which is the very much original field watch. I'm a big fan of the M100, so you need to let us know when, when that's coming out. Big fan of the releases I've seen so far. I've tried one of the field watches uh, earlier on. And so what kind of motivates your next project? Is it very much as you describe, well, what do I fancy wearing? And so that's the next <laughs> thing you'll work on. Yeah, very much. It's a, it's a little, little bit, or mostly all that, but it's also kind of customer demand. So the, the, the next kind of original watch that we released after the M100 is very much based on the requirement of some particular kind of person that wants a particular thing which I can't go into at this point. Honestly, you can say it. We won't tell anybody. No, nobody listens to this. Nobody listens to this. I trust you. I trust you completely. Clearly got a loyal customer base who, because you're selling directly, you find presumably that there is quite a partnership developing of what people want and what you can provide. Yeah, absolutely. It's the, the, one of the nicest things about the way that we operate is that we know everybody that owns a Vertex and they're very much a part of the company and, and we really enjoy that. And from that, you get a very good idea of what people like, what they don't like, how they like us to grow. And that's really good. In terms of now that you've got kind of three ranges, presumably you've kept some for yourself. You've not just sold everything. <laughs> so of the three, how do you rotate through what you wear? Do you, do you have a personal favourite or is it just that the current newest model is your favourite because it's new and shiny? And Yeah, I mean, it, they, they're all my babies. <laughs> so they're all very important to me. The M100B, which is the DLC version of the M100, I really love. Uh -huh. I think it's just such a wearable watch. The Heritage Edition of the MP45 is kind of my daily wearer generally. Right. And then the dive watch, obviously, because it's new and exciting. I'm, I'm wearing a lot and lots of fun trying it with different straps and NATOs and 
that sort of thing. Excellent. Well, as I say, thank you for joining us. That has been great. Go check out the article on a blog to watch.com. And finally, what is the price of the latest release? So the M60 starts at £2,850, including VAT. Cool. And you're obviously, as you said, able to ship worldwide. So anywhere in the Absolutely. world you listen to this, go check it out. I have to say, I've had a very quick hands-on with it. It is a lovely piece of engineering. Very impressed. And the packaging. I know people get into this kind of environmentally friendly, everything's recyclable, everything you can put away in the kind of waste. But I do like a good bit of packaging myself. And this is very well packaged. In something that, while it might not be necessarily recyclable, is useful as something other than just a packaging for delivery yeah absolutely you can once you've taken the watch out you can put anything if i had this i'd probably end up storing microphones in it so uh the, the pelly case <laughs> that it comes in but yeah really impressive overall and i've actually only just in the last five minutes taken the bottom out of what comes with the watch the secret compartment if you like which has revealed all sorts of other goodies so definitely go and check out uh, this latest watch from vertex thanks for joining us don thank you so much for having me so hopefully you've just heard from this week's mystery guest, which is Dawn from Vertex. And hopefully, because I'm recording that particular thing after we've done this, I will also have the Vertex in my hand, because I'm expecting it to be delivered within the next couple of hours, before I interview Dawn. So I will just say in advance, and entire presumption of receiving and having a hands-on with this watch, that I love this watch, because I think I'm going to. I really like the look of this, but you've already got to experience it. And by the sounds of it, you quite like it too. Yeah, there's a lot to say about this. I mean, really what it comes down to it is Don, who is a watch lover, said, as many watch lovers perform, have said, there isn't quite the exact watch out there that I want. Let me proceed to make it. He knew he wanted to have a ISO certified diver's watch, which means that it's a something that can be legitimately referred to as a professional diver's watch. He knew he wanted to be a certain size. He knew that he wanted to have a certain level of illumination that Vertex is known for using because they have solid luminate material that they machine their hour markers out of. The loom is great on it. It has a quality movement. It's a SW300, which is cost chronometer certified. He just went ahead and tried to make the best t- tool dive watch at the 40 millimeter wide size, which I think is important to a lot of people. It's a very good size. It's a very good daily wear. There's two versions of it. One that comes in just natural steel and one which is coated in black. 600 meters of water resistance. So it's 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 definitely a, a deep diver. I just found myself grabbing it. You know, there's there's those tool watches which you can't necessarily explain what it is that appeals to you so much. There's something about it, whether it's the comfort, the legibility, but you just go back to it again and again and again. And this is one of those watches that just did a lot of things right. It also comes with a matching bracelet option, which gives it a little bit more of a dressy look. So, you know, do you need more dive watches in your collection? Well, that's really a, uh, an answer only you can give. <laughs> but at the end of the day, this is a really, really well done one. And it meets, you know, the standards that the Vertex brand of today has for itself. And Vertex was, you know, started by Don's 
a grandfather, I believe, or it was, it was a relative. So it is a family company. And, and the last thing I'll say about it was sort of the amusement I had with this character on the back, which is the watch is called the Aqua Lion, right? So it's the Vertex M60 or the M60C for the black version. I don't know why C for black. Aqualion was is the pet name, and behind the case on the back, there is a relief of a half-crowned lion, half-fish character that also comes on the bag. And for me, it's just funny because as my name, Ariel, people have always called me the Little Mermaid because of the <laughs> Disney cartoon of the same name, but in, in, in my name translates in Hebrew to Lion of God. So it's like this weird thing. It's like, is this some weird symbol that relates to me? It's not. It's not. That's not what he was thinking about. I know that for sure. But it was just a weird irony for me. So I guess the point is everyone's had that experience when they wear a watch that feels like meant for them. You know, maybe it has their last name on it or something like that. But it's it's kind of fun when that happens. Yeah, cool. Also in this country, Ariel or Ariel is a type of washing powder. I don't know if you get that in the States. I've seen it, yes. And uh, I, I, <laughs> I keep everything very sparkling clean, yeah. So I've always wanted to ask this question. Were you at school when, I can't even remember what the film's called. I just know the song. The Little Mermaid. The yes, Little Mermaid, yeah. Were you at school when The Little Mermaid came out? And so would folk uh, be singing Under the Sea? I mean, if you want this entire rest of the show to be about Ariel's history of name bullying, <laughs> yeah, we could go into that. It's a whole topic. Do, do I need to sit you down? Do we need to get a counselor in on the call? As an adult, I, I'm okay with it, but there are... Have you dealt with it? Partially? <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. We're not going there then. <laughs> so, no, I really like this. I'm looking forward to getting hands on it. I don't know what it is about their designs because, I mean, they're not generic in any way, shape or form, but they are reminiscent. They're they're one degree further away. I mean, obviously, there's only so much you can do with a watch sign, but the field watches in their previous collections, they're just gorgeous. Like the 45, and I think it's the M100. I think I can't remember which one was it that producing a kind of bronze. They are just lovely looking watches. It's clearly a work of passion for Dawn as much as it is a work of commerce. And I think because I'm a big Panerai fan. I've always felt just with the the numeral set that there's a there's a hint of Panerai about it, which I think I particularly appreciate and, and makes me like them even more. So I'm looking forward to getting my hands on with this. This is just under three grand. Are we getting three grand's worth of watch when we buy one of these? I mean, who's this up against a kind of Oris? Yeah, I mean, thing? these days for sure. I mean, look, there's a personality out there who decidedly wants to get watches from sort of smaller brands and things like that. You know, it's very yeah. difficult for something like this to, on a brand and notoriety, you know, perspective, you know, match up to a Tag Heuer or Breitling or, you know, even even a Seiko sometimes. And so you have to be someone who likes to investigate smaller, cool brands, likes to be some in the know. It's a perfect watch for someone like that, that likes these sort of military style stuff, the tactical person that you know likes those types of things that's another good person set of people that'd be into that so i i think that there's a lot of different types of categories of people that would be you know really into something like this for sure cool so ariel's had a hands-on with this i'm about to get hands-on with it but you can go and read ariel's article now at the blog to watch one of the more controversial watches to be announced over the last several days was a collaboration yeah between Swiss H. Moser and C and American, I guess it's a clothing ma- maker called Undefeated, which, you know, if you're familiar with, I don't even know what they call it, streetwear, I don't even know what they call it anymore, but is a, is a, is a long-standing 
streetwear brand, not not inexpensive, but you know, street style wear, if you will. And they did a collaboration with the Streamliner Chronograph Collection for fifty five thousand dollars. A lot of hate, but reminds me of the types of things people would say when Hublot did kind of interesting types of collaborations that were not pleasing to everyone. I had I had no problem with this watch. I thought it was very cool, but I agree that H Moser and C did not really do a nod of storytelling to explain what they and Undefeated had in common. I'm not saying they have nothing in common, but when you look at the commentary, a lot of it is, okay, I get that the Undefeated is a known clothing maker, and I get that H. Moser and C has a cool watch called the Streamliner. Where do these you know, when, where do these mentalities or values or sets of people intersect? And they didn't really do a very good job of that. And so I think that it's a story that the product itself, if if confusing, needs to have more in-depth storytelling to explain it. And then and only then can you have a more immediate adoption. I'm sure this watch looks cool as hell in person, but the lack of explaining why they did it. it it's interesting because you think about these types of collaborations and it's like, OK, well, people love our watches and like your streetwear. If we combine, everyone's going to buy. It's not that simple. It takes a little bit more than that. It has to have sort of two brands that make sense working together. And again, I think this is an interesting example of how maybe that type of storytelling needed to be taken a few steps further. Yeah, so I had no clue who Undefeated were. Living in a farm, streetwear apparel is not my best friend. Right. So when I first saw this watch, not knowing that it was a collaboration because I don't recognize the logo that's at 12 o'clock, I looked at it and thought, this looks pretty cool. Because as far as I was concerned, it was just a Moser watch with a funky design on it. And we all know that Moser are capable of producing funky designs. It was only after I then started reading the article that I'm like, all right, this is a collaboration with a clothing manufacturer, sneakers or trainers, as they should be properly called. The trainers manufacturer. And I then went on the same journey you went, which is, well, why? There's no storytelling about, you know, is it just that Ed at Moser is a big fan of Undefeated. That would have been enough of a story, you know. I met this guy at a thing. I like his clothing. I own a watch brand. So why not? That's a story. Guy owns watch company. Guy meets guy who owns clothing company. Guys decide to do something together. But there just seemed to be the lack of, as you say, story as to why Undefeated? Why this watch from Moser? Like why a chronograph? Why not an Endeavour or a perpetual calendar or or whatever. So yeah, I think a lack of storytelling and that has, because this is the most commented article in the last week on a blog to watch. Anyone listening should go and avail themselves of the comment section. It's quite entertaining along with the entertainment from the article. In terms of this as a watch, I think this is gorgeous. But then I like this watch in general and all of its iteration. I think though that it goes from being a 10 out of 10 to an 8 out of 10 when you realize that it's a collaboration and you realize that you don't quite understand the collaboration unless you are already well in with Undefeated. Because the purpose to my mind of collaborations is for the fans of one brand to be introduced to become the fans of the other brand that's involved in the collaboration. 
as opposed to just selling this watch to those that are already fans of both brands. Surely the point of a collaboration is the kind of introduction of, you think Moser's cool? Well, here's this other thing we think is cool. You should go check them out and vice versa. And I just don't think this take you on that journey. It is really interesting how heavily it's being marketed. And congratulations to them both because half the problem with a number of collaborations is it's only ever marketed by one side of the collaboration. <laughs> this is being widely marketed both on the Undefeated website and obviously on the Moser website. So there is genuinely interest from both sides. Clearly, they're both fans of each other somewhere within the management of both organisations. They've just failed to actually communicate that to the rest of us. But as a watch at about 55 grand, I don't know that this is much more expensive than the standard. I can't think what the, the price of a standard streamliner chronograph is. But there's certainly not been a massive margin added on just for the use of the logo of Undefeated, at least that is my assumption. Now, I want to ask you a question. You said that on the Undefeated website, they're also pushing it. Is the storytelling better there? Meaning, you know, on the watch brands websites, they're usually not amazing at it. Is it is it more effective over there or have both sides sort of dropped the ball? Well, there is an interesting question. I think both sides have dropped the ball because although it's on the banner, etc. of the undefeated. So the first thing you're greeted at when you go to the undefeated website is this watch. When you go into it, it's actually taking you back to the Moser website. And it's just all about boldness and irreverency. Is that a word? Being irreverent that somehow something really classic combined with something hip and funky is irreverent. The thing is, I think Moser's already known for being bold and irreverent in the Swiss watch industry. I don't think this adds more boldness. I just think it's a bit odd. I just think it's a bit odd. And and it doesn't tell the story any any better. But it's well, being marketed by both. H. Moser and C is a company that likes people talking about them. And yep. if this product was exclusively to have people ask why and try to figure out what they meant by it, then that alone, I think, is actually maybe a good reason. And Absolutely. they will sell. I'm pretty sure these will sell. So you do have a certain collector base saying, that's not the Moser I expected. And that's fine. But that's not what this product was really for. It's about a $5,000 uplift by the looks of it for the undefeated element of this. And from the dial, which has this kind of, I don't know if it's how the patterning's actually done. It's, it's kind of like a grainy dial with a logo with kind of images on it i'm not sure what the images are like how that pattern that's on the dial relates presumably to undefeated in some way i think a number of folk thought that it represented a kind of geographical point in the comment section but uh, apparently it doesn't but uh, you can see that there has been a bit more work put into the dial for this but it's cool um, i like it i just don't understand the collaboration Maybe it's not. Maybe I just need to face up to Ariel. This is this is not for me. This was not being aimed at Rick when they combined Moser and Undefeated. They weren't thinking of me driving my tractor. We're in the era of the collaboration right now. And I think just as virtue of that, we're going to see mostly collaborations that don't make sense to us personally. I think what we need to hope for is that enough of the collaborations do make sense to us because they do relate to some place we live or something we've done or some experience we had when we were younger so that we're connected to them. So I think the important thing is don't get angry people if there's collaborations out there that don't fit your personality and taste. Just be excited that eventually there will be some that probably do. 
I don't know. I reserve the right to be angry at any given moment for any given reason. That's my job. <laughs> well, that's actually true. What are the best collaborations that you've ever seen? No one specific thing comes to mind, but when both sides bring something good to the table, right? Watchmaker is a company that makes a tool for a specific purpose. They incorporate a design into their manufacturing process. They're not even always good at coming up with those designs. But when a collaboration gives them a new purpose to make a tool for or lends a design or forces them to make a new product that they've never made before, for me, that's a success. It, it's really about both sides bringing something to the table so that the relationship wouldn't or the product wouldn't look exactly the same if the relationship wasn't there. Maybe that's one for the audience. So send us in what you think are the best watch collaborations that you can think of, and we'll maybe give them a readout on the show next time. I, I have to say, just in conclusion on the Mozart, the one thing I will give them entire credit for is not also producing an NFT of this watch. So well done for resisting all temptations. Yeah, good job, go. Moser. Good, good job. job we for... know you wanted to do it. You're thinking <laughs> you know about it the entire time. You know they did. Yeah. You know somebody had a conversation about NFTs when they were doing this collaboration. Well done for deciding. There should be a skit about that. Like there needs to be like some like the NFT gnome that just goes beta. Like what about an NFT? Like the Geneva Seal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What about getting the cost chronometer? <laughs> certification be like what yeah <laughs> so there you go you go and check out the article on a blog to watch that uh, sean penn from this week i have a digital twin <laughs> <laughs> he didn't join us on the show this week did our david but david did manage to get home safe and sound from naples as far as I'm aware, although interestingly this week I had somebody around the farm who had just been in Naples and was wearing a black dialed Explorer 2 and when he went into the local bar at Naples fresh off the ship, the barman immediately said to him, mate, mate, put that watch in your pocket. <laughs> so clearly the suspicious activity that David was alluding to, meaning that he was going to wear a G-Shock to the Bulgarian launch, was also being communicated to the passengers of the cruise ships that dock in Naples by the local bar workers of, yeah, yeah, see that expensive watch wearing? Put it in your pocket. David did allude to not personally ha having something happen to him, but definitely viewing some, uh, you know, some thieving going on there. He didn't have to yes. work very hard. That's... Uh, no. As far as I'm aware, he survived and he got home. I mean, I've not actually heard from him, but I believe he got out of Naples okay, having, you know, abused it on last week's show. But he did get to try on this new Bulgari aluminium GMT Amerigo Vespucci special edition watch. I really like this. I used to hate these watches. The, the whole Bulgari Bulgari thing on the bezel, I used to think was just awful, horrific, horrendous indeed. In much the same way that I used to think the AP Royal Oaks also looked horrific and horrendous. What's with all the, the vitriol? I'm just curious. Like, it's one thing to not like it. It's nothing to like... I'm channeling my inner Ariel. No. <laughs> I just, as someone who wasn't that into watches prior to getting into watches, when I've seen these, I'm just like... I mean, I've always been somebody who's not that keen at wearing goods that advertise what it is you're wearing. Like, that's the job of the company to do the advertising. It's not my job to do your advertising and buy your product at the same time. And I think that was always what I thought about this. You know, the Bulgari Bulgari on the bezel was just a bit OTT. But I have softened over the years. 
and I now actually really like these watches. Maybe it's just I'm more comfortable with uh, being a snob. I don't know. <laughs> really like this. Big fan. Love the yellow on it. I love the bracelet, the rubber strap that it comes with, which again says Bulgari on it. So I think what I'm basically saying is this watch says its own brand name either four or five times on the front of the watch. I think that should be the new minimum standard for all watches. They should at least tell you what they are <laughs> in five visible places <laughs> on the watch. Rolex, Rolex. Well, I suppose Rolex probably does. How many Rolexes are on the rehaw of a Submariner? Like, like a lot. Maybe Bulgari are just copying. But I love the things the that classic. upset like watch lovers. Like the brand, <laughs> the brand that made the watch says the name of the brand too many times on the watch. I can't handle it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, come on. But that's the whole point is we're allowed to get upset at stuff because fundamentally all luxury watches are basically irrelevant. It's either this or we get really angry about things that actually matter and genuinely solve some world problems like, you know, hunger and war and poverty and homelessness. So, But, but rather just so than people doing know, that, we'll just get angry at how many times Bulgari so you know, on watch. In the watch space right now, you might have to do some, you know, detective work, but you can buy watches that have the brand name printed on the case from zero times to maybe like what ten nine nine or ten times like or or one time or two times or three times just choose the number of brand <laughs> printings that you want on the watch and then just go out there and search options for everyone you know how you get folk uh, who are slightly deranged who arrange their bookcases in color order. No, I have no idea what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, turn right. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm guessing you might be one of those people. You're no. a kind of California. I, if I had more free time. Trip. If I had more free time, you could be damn sure I would be organizing my socks by color. <laughs> I have seen people who want to be committed who arrange their books in color order, not by topic or theme or author or whatever but just to look nice on the shelf i think there is a new strategy which is big watch places like watch the switzerland that stock lots of brands should reorganize their watch collections by the number of time the brand has its own brand name on the watch so you can start at like iwc that say it once and then go all the way up to uh, bulgari who have it five times or more well i mean we've got a few audience questions this week what is the brand that has its brand name the most on a single watch? Rolex must be pretty close, actually, if you count the Rehot. But there we go. So it's got to be like maybe like I don't know a brand like Gucci would have like a repeating you know a dial with a repeating logo or something like that that have like 30, 40 times. I mean, to be fair, Grand Seiko technically probably have some watches where the oh the GS dial, of yeah. the dial has the GS several hundred times so maybe actually the japanese are more egomaniacs than we give them credit for <laughs> in terms of boasting about their brand so there you go if somebody wants to count the number of times gs appears on the gs uh, watch face then you probably also are someone that organizes their bookcase by color so be gone go listen to a different show <laughs> that's hilarious so, yeah, what do we think of this watch, though? The Bulgari? We're going back yeah. now? Okay, I was like, it's before everyone turns off the show, like, okay, they've resorted <laughs> to talking about the number of time the brand name is on the dial. This is too much. <laughs> Look, I mean, I'm a fan of, of this of, of this type of watch. You know, I like the Diagono. I, I love that it's very comfortable. 
I was very happy when Bulgari brought it back. I'd like to see them do some updates to it, but like it's satisfying. They don't charge too much money for them. And I think that's the smartest thing about it is they made it a great entry level one. Look, the whole Amerigo Vespucci thing, like the yellow and black is lovely. The Italian flag on there is about as subtle as I've ever seen an Italian (laughs) flag done on a watch job before. Italians known for their subtlety. Right? It's once once in a while. I give you Panerai. (laughs) Once in a while. I mean... These days, I think the problem is like Italy, I completely understand Amerigo Vespucci. We love to celebrate our historical characters. I mean, it's totally up Italy's alley. But like these days, like in the type of sort of like times we have thinking about colonialism and all that era, like I just <laughs> read the room, Bulgari. Yeah, that LVMH wants to call so much attention to like, you know, the the murder of natives somewhere. It's like, okay, really? <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> so that came to mind a little bit but again the, the boat is beautiful that they did one of their most modern looking watches with one of the most vintage looking ships i can think of is kind of hilarious but yeah <laughs> i was a bit confused I, I was having moments there where if this had been bremen someone who'd been hacking off a bit of the ship yeah <laughs> to stick it in to stick it in the back of the watch so i was a bit concerned as to whether uh, bulgari had like taken a bit of rigging <laughs> and like it was a sailcloth strap made from sails from the actual ship. Look, maybe Bulgari is like, okay, we have 37 minutes to come up with an idea or they're giving it to Panerai. Okay? (laughs) (laughs) I do think your point is really interesting about the price of this watch. I mean, it's $3,900 or $3,950 and it's a big brand. Okay, it's maybe not the biggest watch brand, but in terms of people who just know brands, people know Bulgari. This has got to be right up there with as a starter for 10 proper luxury watch recognized by people in the street has got to be a really good value i mean i know it's always stupid talking about value in luxury watches but in terms of bang for buck and what this gets you if you're not a watch geek or a watch collector but if you just went and bought this four grand for I just think it's a really good deal. Bulgari could easily, if they didn't have a history of this watch being at that kind of price, you could easily see them trying to sell this for 12 or 13 just because it's got Bulgari written on it. But actually, they've chosen very positively to price this at a point that it's competing against some brands that have way less street cred, maybe not watch cred, but way less street cred than Bulgari do. So it'll be interesting to see how popular this is and whether it moves people into other watches in the range. I assume this is a limited edition. I assume they're not making hundreds of these, but I'm just actually... Yeah, yeah probably. 1,050 pieces. No idea. Maybe the 50 pieces is for like their Christmas party or something. I don't know why they produce 1,050 of them, but it's a limited edition of 1,050. So, yeah, go check this out. I mean, it's a great 40 mil wide, 100 meters water resistant. Aluminium. I do like aluminium watches. Well done for not saying aluminum, by the way. Well, I mean, it literally says aluminium on the dial. (laughs) (laughs) Only once, though. Only once. Will you ever forgive us for dropping that syllable or that letter or whatever it is that americans did yeah listen of all the things that it's impossible to forgive americans for that's way down the list but it is on the list we did it we dropped a syllable i I admit it should should have been but you dropped it from color we dropped it from color yeah what do you have a u in but it's pronounced the same way with aluminium fair enough we caught with a different word we can do spelling differences you guys do not have 
any authority on spelling. Some of your stuff is weird as hell, okay? <laughs> Listen, I'm very much of the, and this will wind up one person in particular, that the less letters in a word, yes, I didn't say fewer, because English is about communicating. And if what I say communicates a thing, then it works. So yes, you're allowed to drop the U in colour. and But can you pronounce clique as clique, not click or click i don't know how you pronounce it click cliche click thing going on which i've never got i know that click is not click that i do know yeah anyway there we have it so go and check out this article from david he'll maybe be back on the show next week if we if we decide to let him and he can tell us about what he actually thought uh, with his hands on go check out the article Okay, so that is our show for the week. Ariel, what have you got to look forward to in the next few days? Hopefully some rest. I have been working very hard on a large number of projects, but it is a very exciting time right now. Planning a couple of content creation adventures later in the summer, but hopefully I will actually be able to be home for a week. Good, good. And I am looking forward to seeing this Vertex uh, arriving in soon. So other than that, do like and subscribe both here. Go check out the YouTube channel. Go and make sure you leave plenty of comments on the various blog to watch articles, both the ones we speak about and the ones that are still to come. And we'll start maybe reading out some of the best ones. But do also send us your thoughts. You can get hold of me at, at @ricktiktok on Instagram. Ariel, where can people get hold of you on Instagram? On Instagram, Ariel to watch or the blog to watch main account. And please visit the blogtowatch.com website to read all of our latest articles. Yeah, so that's it. So it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from him. Bye, everyone.